Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let me uh, pray for us, and we'll go ahead and get started. Um, God, we thank you for your word, for our church family. We pray for the rest of our church family who's either traveling or sick and um, with others. And um, we're just grateful to be um, members of your body. We're grateful for the gift of our Lord Jesus and the salvation that we share in him. I pray, God, that you would uh, just guide our time uh, through your word, uh, that it would... Um, just build up our hearts, that it would strengthen our faith, and that uh, here in this room that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so um, like every time, every time around this, this, this time of year, the, the world is celebrating and singing songs that tell the same exact Christmas story, right? But I, I, I want to do, since this is sort of like our post-Christmas Sunday, right? The Lord's Day ended up, happen, ended up like landing like just a day after Christmas. This is sort of like your bonus episode, right? And so um, what I want to do is I want us to consider, consider the weight of the Christmas story and how, how that weight should land on us throughout the rest of this next year. I mean, we all know the characters of the story. We have got, many of us have the nativity scenes that are set up. We know the sequence of events, but have we ever stopped to consider, like, what does this all mean for us throughout our lives? Like, what does what we just celebrated at the end of 2021, what does that mean for our 2022 and beyond? Have we ever stopped to consider what this all means? Why the Christmas story is such a big deal at all? Why the birth of Jesus matters? And I want to just, say right out the gate, the plan for this morning is that regardless of where you're at before today, regardless of how you got here today, whether you've been with us since day one or whether you're just visiting for the first time this morning, um, which I can see two of you, <laughs> uh, I want to walk away with, uh, I want all of us, every single one of us to walk away with a bigger view of who Christ the Son is. And why his birth matters, why Christmas matters. We're going to be looking at just one single verse. Um, we'll kind of be jumping around, but we're going to be expounding on one verse on Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, which says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so I want us to spend the rest of our time just on that single word, Emmanuel, 
It's sort of a prophetic nickname for Jesus. That's what Emmanuel is. It's like a prophetic nickname that means God with us. I mean, the verse itself says, which means God with us. And so both the weight and force and the majesty and beauty of the Christmas story is found in those words. And so I want us to unpack them now with the rest of our short time. And so looking at this statement, God is with us. Let's look at those one word at a time. First, what does it mean to say that Jesus is God? What does it mean to say that Jesus is God? Now, if you wanted to strip down the meaning of the Christmas story to its simplest point, it would be this, that the creator of the universe, he became a human being. That's a primary uh, like message being told at Christmas. That is like level one. Everything else follows after that. What do you think of when I say, like, what is the theme of Christmas? Right? Some of us think joy, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And those are all true and those are all good, but they aren't primary. Those all flow out of this primary point that the creator God of the universe, he became a human being. That is what's most significant about the Christmas story. And look, who Jesus is to us, who Jesus is to you, is the most crucial question that you have to answer. To many people, Jesus is just like another good guy, or he's another wise teacher. But how many of us can say that we know the real Jesus? How many of us can say by the way that we follow Jesus, the way that we practically follow him, that our lives show that we know the real Jesus? I mean, really, there's like different versions of Jesus that get thrown around in our culture. There's Republican Jesus, who wants just small taxes but big family values, pro-owning firearms. There's Democrat Jesus, who's like pro-refugee and anti-Wall Street and carbon footprints. There's therapist Jesus, who helps you kind of heal up from your past, cope with your problems in the present, teaches you not to be too hard on yourself. There's inclusive Jesus, who just loves everyone no matter what, doesn't ask us to do a thing, Right? And there's touchdown Jesus, right? Or uh, like award ceremony Jesus who helps athletes win points and, and actors and actresses win awards. There's hippie Jesus who doesn't wear shoes and is all about world peace and love. There's success Jesus who teaches us to reach for the stars and achieve our full potential. There's what I call Santa Claus theology Jesus who is always watching, right? And as long as you're good, you might get some nice stuff from him. There's spirituality Jesus who's like against big religion and churches and pastors and doctrine. He just wants you to find like the divine inside you, right? There's all these different Jesuses that get thrown around and that's not even an exhaustive list. But then there's the Lord Jesus Christ that we read about in the scriptures. The son of the living God. He's not just another prophet, as the Bible tells us. He's not just another priest. He's not just another king. He's not any of those things that we listed previously. He's God in the flesh. The son of David, the seed of Abraham, the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And this Jesus, the real Jesus, is not a reflection of the current mood or projection of our cultural preferences. He's our Lord and God. Truer, better, more beautiful than we could ever think up on our own, than we could ever even imagine. He's a creator 
who came down to his created earth. Look at these two verses in Colossians with me. In Colossians 1, verse 16 and 17, it says that by him, speaking about Jesus, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, these verses right here speak of Jesus as being the creator, the only uncreated one. It speaks of his greatness, his godness, his otherliness. It says he's the creator of all, that he made this whole universe, including this huge galaxy that we call home, inside a, a bigger universe that it exists in, a giant hurricane of stars and planets and space dust. It all exists because he spoke it into being. I want the weight of that truth to sort of sink down into your bones. You see, some of us, when we think of Jesus, especially around Christmas time, like we don't think about his greatness. We don't think about his majesty. We don't think about his gloriousness, his godness. We think of him as like baby Jesus, meek and mild, which is certainly worth pondering around Christmas time. But it should never be the detriment of who Jesus truly is. These verses, though, they tell us that he is the physical image of the invisible God, and that before he put on flesh, before he took on flesh, he stood above creation, above everything that you and I know. Just let that sink in. That's what the incarnation, which is theology speak for what happened at Christmas, Jesus putting on flesh. That's what the incarnation is all about. It's one thing to know that the Grand Canyon is huge, but it's something else entirely to just stand at the edge of it and to feel the sense of its bigness. It's one thing to intellectually know that Jesus is the creator, but it's something else to entirely to have a sense of the weight of his glory. We start to have a taste for it, where it's more than just mere knowledge in your head, but it starts to burrow down into your heart, into your bones, and it just changes the way that you look at him. It changes what it means for you to follow him, to know him. You see, my promise to you this afternoon is that whatever it is, your view of Jesus, whatever your view of Jesus is, the more you spend time in the scriptures, the more you'll realize that it's just not big enough. Man, we should want to know more and more the real Jesus. You should want the real and living God in your life. I mean, if, if you drove here today or if you're like streaming online, like the whole reason that we, we come to places like this to, to hear God's word as it's open and spoken about is because we want to know the real God. We want to know the living God. And so when we talk about Jesus as God, his sovereign greatness needs to be our starting point. Some of us treat Jesus as just like this cosmic therapist who's there to give us good advice or to help us feel better about ourselves. Now, does he give good advice? Yes, absolutely. But he's primarily God. 
God who is other than us, the God who is great, the God who made us, the one who's the beginning of all things. And because he made us, he therefore owns us. We belong to him. Now, here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is that this great God, who's categorically other than us, he's also the one who came down to save us, to be with us. So that moves on to our second point. We want to see what it means for God, Jesus as God, to be with us. Jesus is God with us. So let's talk about his withness at Christmas time. Made up that word just now. Our great God, in all his splendor, in all his majesty, in his infinite greatness, he's come down to be with us, to come alongside us, to pursue this intimate relationship with his people in Christ, in Jesus. Jesus is God with us. Thank you. In the Old Testament, long before Jesus was born, we read about the prophet Moses. And there's a moment when Moses is just up on this mountain. And he asks God, he's speaking to God, and he asks God, he says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to feel the fullness of your presence. He just longed to see the glory of God and the fullness of its power. And God basically denies Moses a full view of his glory, saying he's like, man, if I were to show you a full view of my glory, it would just utterly destroy you. But but let me do this. Let me give you a veiled view, right? Like I'll cover a little bit of my glory. I'll give you a veiled view of of my my glory. And God does that not, not to tease Moses, but to protect him. Because again, the glory of God has such a force to it that if Moses were to look at it right on, he would just be utterly destroyed. It's like, it's like when, when, when there's like a solar eclipse, right? We, we, they always tell everyone uh, like not to look directly. They tell you how amazing it's going to be. Like this only happens every so often. And they're like, but don't look at it, right? Um, and then you have to order these like special glasses if you want to look at it. Sometimes like they'll sell them at Target like that week. Um, because if you look at it straight on, it would just destroy your eyes, right? So the glory of God is like that at a much greater scale. So now imagine if Moses, who was denied the fullness of seeing the glory of God, if he was here this morning and he heard the message of Christmas, he heard about the mystery of the incarnation of God veiling himself in the human flesh of a baby child. And imagine that he was here with our New Testament, because if you remember, back in the Old Covenant, he didn't have that available to him. So imagine if, 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 if Moses is, opens up our Bibles and he reads verses like the one we see in John chapter 1, verse 14, when it says that the word, speaking of you know, the word that was spoken at the beginning of time, the one who created all things, it says the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now imagine that Moses is reading John chapter 1 after his encounter with the veiled glory of Jesus or veiled glory of God at, at Sinai. I mean, Moses, if he, if he were to hear the significance of the incarnation, 
the magic of the Christmas story, he would lose his mind. He would go bonkers. He would lose his mind in joy. He would just go ballistic. He'd be running all around going like, dude, do you guys even realize what this means, right? Like this thing that I longed for, but that God denied me, like I couldn't even see his glory, but now it's contained in a baby? And it came here, it walked among you, the glory of God walked among you. He's like, this means that you can intimately know the glory of God through this man, through Jesus Christ. You can know him personally without getting destroyed. And Moses longed for that. Moses would say, joy has come into the world. Why did Jesus have to come at all? Why did the creator have to step into creation? In Genesis 3, we learn that when sin entered the world, it fractured everything, right? It fractured creation. That's why we live in a broken, fallen, imperfect world. Anyone paying attention knows that to be true. It's this condition we've inherited. And every single one of us are also broken by birth. We are sinners by nature and by choice. The Bible says we're brought forth in iniquity and that we are, apart from the grace of God at work in our lives, that we are rebels against our creator. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. And so we have this fractured relationship with God and we face penalty for our sin, which the Bible says is death. In Romans 6, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, that's the reason that Jesus came. He came to step into the middle of our mess and to bring the peace that only his blood shed on a cross can bring. The peace that only can be attained by absorbing the just wrath of God and giving us his own righteousness. See, he came to bring lasting joy and salvation to sinners, and he did so clothed in the humble vulnerability of a child. I think few passages describe this clearer than Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. I want you to read this passage with me and just let like each turn of phrase sink in to you. In verse six, it says that though he, speaking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It says that Jesus, he took the form of a servant. That means he didn't give up being God but he took on becoming a servant. He did not shed his godly nature, his divine nature, but he put on, in our human history, there's a moment that he put on a human nature. 
It says he was born in the likeness of men. Now, for right now, you're given a brief glimpse into heaven, and you saw Jesus as he currently is in his glorified state. If you saw Jesus as God with his, the fullness of his godness on display and all his glory and all his beauty and brightness and majesty, it would knock you down to the floor. That's what happened to John, right, at the beginning of Revelation. He was knocked down to the ground. But at Christmas, the first Christmas, in the incarnation, Jesus came without any of that. He came without any of that. He still was God, but he had taken on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, he lowered himself from the throne of God into a manger solely so that he could one day be lowered further into the grave. He lowered himself so that we could be lifted up. You see, you and I, we're always trying to fill up our lives with these counterfeit glories, but we end up tired. We end up empty. But Jesus, the only one who had true glory, the only one who had ultimate glory, was willing to empty himself. He emptied himself so that we could be truly full in him even if it cost him his life. He is with us in the fullest sense of that word. So let's close by looking at that last word. What does it mean to say that Jesus is God with with us? That Jesus is God with us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, by his fleshly wounds, you have been healed. You see, he himself bore our sins. I was challenged recently to do a study on the word himself. Like, where does that word show up in the Bible? To talk about what God does himself. And it's incredible to see what God does himself for us, what we could never do for ourselves. This is one of those verses. Our sins. He took responsibility for us. Our sins he bore on the tree. Look, it's hard for me to believe that God is with those who, or, or rather, it's not hard for me to believe. It's not hard for me to believe that God is with those who, who seem strong and amazing and important. But it's another thing for me to believe that God is with me. Harder to think that God is with me. The gospel tells me he is, and he's with you. He's with us. You see, the bold and scandalous claim of the gospel is that in spite of our smallness, in spite of our wickedness, in spite of our sin, 
God is with us and for us. There's no clearer way to see that than looking at the person of Jesus. God coming in Jesus at Bethlehem, in Bethlehem. You see, it's not, listen, it's not that God is too great to give you his attention. It's actually he, he's, he's too great to not give it to you. He's too great to ignore you. He's too great to not love you. He's with us and he's with us in all that he is. To the point of the cross, he doesn't even hold back. Jesus came for us knowing it would cost him his life. He literally went to hell and back for us. He's so with us that there is not one moment where his heart is turned from you. If you belong to him, there's not one moment that his heart is turned from you. He doesn't turn away when he sees you coming. No, his heart is inclined towards you always. He sees you in all your mess. He sees your sin. He hears your cries. He knows your needs and he feels your pain. To say that God is with us is not a merely sentimental statement, but it's, it's to say that God is with you and he, he's your ally in the greatest conflicts you'll ever find yourself in. It's God saying, I'm your ally in war. I'm your ally in conflict. As a matter of fact, when, when Matthew is saying that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And if you go back to look at that passage in the prophet uh, Isaiah, the context that, that that prophecy is given in is speaking of military conflicts. And what does that mean? This basically means for us that God is saying, look, whatever battle Whatever battle you're walking into today, whatever battle you find yourself in this week, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to be with you and for you, and I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to get involved in this for you and make sure it turns out for your good. You're not on your own. And look, he's with us, namely in our most ultimate conflict when God fought for us as a sacrificial lamb, when sin, evil, and death rose up against us, and Jesus stood there and took it in our place, absorbing God's wrath in our place. That tells us that if God is our advocate when we least deserved it, then what else do you have to fear? How could you ever question his grace, his goodness, his love for you? And if he's willing to be with us in our greatest need than when we least deserve it, how much more can we believe that he's here for us today? Look, I'm not sure where every single one of us are at right now in our walk with Jesus. 
There might be some even on, on, online or, or, or who might listen to this eventually who, who don't know him at all. Like you're not a Christian. You've heard the invitation, the good news of his birth, and you've come to the realization that, that, that man, you need to be completely remade. You need to be spiritually made new. You, you believe this, but you also want to believe this. You feel it tugging at your heart. And if, and if, that's, if that's you, know that you can just come to him as you are. There's no shame on the other side of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only joy in the fullness of life. God with us. For all of us, I want us to feel the weight of those three words, God with us. There's an 18th century minister by the name of John Wesley, and on his deathbed, with his dying last breath, he said, the best thing of all, the best of all, is God with us. He died with those words on his lips, the best thing of all. Let's consider their weight and live with them in our hearts. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.